Hey, good morning, everybody. Sure, it's good to see everyone this morning. We are in a series called The Great Life. We've been learning from Jesus and from the scriptures in general how what the world wants to tell us is the good life falls way short of the great life that Jesus provides. We've been listening to him teach us about uh, what happens in our own souls with regard to our possessions and how so often they can have power over us when really we in Christ have been given power and authority and stewardship over them to use them for good and to not be mastered by our money, but instead master our money. We've been seeing all of this in these last few weeks. And when we hear Jesus teach about this subject, I kind of think of him uh, as a, like a master cartographer, a map maker, someone who really understands the geography uh, of the human soul and what's going on in me and in you, especially with regards to this subject of our finances, our possessions, our stuff, our material goods. The layout of our soul, the pitfalls, the pathways, right? Whether it's uh, avoiding the fire swamp or Mount Doom or you name it, uh, all the places that are going on in us that we need to head this way to a good place and figure out how to navigate away from the things that could bring us down. And even if you look at the last couple of weeks, I can easily see how this would be the case. Two weeks ago, we talked about how we need to um, trust in God's provision for us, and we can rest and trust in that. So at each fork in the road of our lives, as we make a decision, we choose the path of trust in God, and then that will lead us in a good place. And then if all that time as we're choosing trust, we're also guarding against the, the beasts or the dragons of greed, right, who will be snipping at our heels and want to take us down. If we can do both those things, we'll find ourselves uh, ending up in this lush land of contentment. And that's what we're going to talk about today, contentment. And I can see how the last couple of weeks put together will lead us to this place. And we see this made very clear in the scriptures. The passage we're going to focus on this morning is on page 812. If you grabbed a Bible from the Bible carts in the back or in the commons, you can always grab one of those. And if you don't own an easy to read copy of the Bible, you can write your name in the front of that and make it yours to keep. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a passage that runs right next to a passage that we've touched on a couple of times in the weeks leading up to today, uh, where Paul is instructing Christians to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, as the way he puts it. And while he's in this subject, he also talks about contentment, which is what we're going to look at right here. So we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 6 in verse 4 and following. Let me read the passage. Uh, it begins with Paul describing folks. He's warning Timothy as Timothy is a young pastor and Paul is kind of mentoring him. He says, look, there's going to be some folks that might show up in your church and they're going to be false teachers. They're going to try to lead people astray. They're going to have their focus on the wrong thing. And this is the way he describes it. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. They've turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. In other words, some things never change, right? 
Maybe that can feel familiar to us if we've had a similar experience in church or just with Christianity in general. That's always existed, that kind of manipulative approach to these types of topics or the idea that you godliness is just a way to get wealthy. But then Paul lays down some serious wisdom and instruction. So let's lean in and listen to this. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can take nothing with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, he says, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Let's pray together. Lord, as we have this passage open before us, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be our teacher. God, I ask that you would use this time to let us each have planted in us by your will uh, exactly what we need to hear. That we'll walk out of here, each of us, with the thing that we need to be meditating on, chewing on, and living out uh, and learning in our lives. Lord, that's our prayer. We trust you in it, and we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's dive into these good words, starting in verse 6, where Paul says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Like I said at the beginning, we've been learning that Jesus provides the great life, not just the good life that this world likes to promote, that we're aiming for true wealth, not just getting rich, right? The virtue of contentment really speaks to this. Contentment could be described as not wanting more, but needing less as well. Or even more accurately speaking, we could say that it's when we realize that when we have a relationship with God and Jesus Christ, we really have all we need. Let's remember our man from the parable last Sunday. If you weren't here last Sunday, we let Jesus tell us again this parable of what we call the rich fool, someone who had a bumper crop, but then devoted all his surplus to himself and ended up uh, having a rude awakening. And in that parable, at one point, when he sees that he has so much of a crop, what he says to himself is this, I will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now that sounds like great wealth, right? Certainly by any of the world's standards, but it's an illusion as in the story, his earthly life ends that very night. He describes what sounds like uh, the picture of contentment, right? You've got plenty, take life easy. Isn't this what we want the financial advisor we meet with regarding our retirement accounts to one day say to us, right? You've got plenty, take life easy. But in this case, our guy could not be more wrong. He's trying to find contentment in something terribly temporary. See, contentment, as the Bible describes it, is not comfort. It's not a lack of painful sacrifice that only when circumstantially everything seems just right, then we'll find contentment. Or when we feel that we have all the stuff we need, then we find contentment. That's not the way the Bible describes it. Contentment is peace of mind and heart found in God, apart from stuff. 
Verse 7, Paul goes on, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We, can take, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Well, that puts things in perspective, right? It's a helpful reminder for us all. It's a reminder that I'm kind of blessed to continue, uh, kind of continually get. I've uh, been a part of uh, two funerals in the last eight days. And every time that I preach a funeral, I'm reminded starkly of the, of the reality of what Paul is saying here, right? That what we have in this world is, uh, materially speaking, will all be left behind. It will all be left behind. All that we have, whatever we have, it is all on loan to us so we can share it, yes, enjoy it, and do some good with it. Life is short and stuff, no matter how much we have, is awfully temporary. So, Paul says, if we have enough food and clothing, we let us be content. We will be content with that. And here we run headlong into the key word that we almost find a way to define if we are ever to be content. And that word is enough. How much is enough? If whatever we have is whatever God has chosen to provide, then where does our desire for more and our discontent with anything less come from? In biblical language, it comes from greed which can infect any of us, and Jesus warns us to guard against it. We tackled that last week. No doubt this can be easily fueled by our consumer culture, right? I could cite stats and studies on this, but we already all know that it's true. There is a nonstop industry devoted to convincing me uh, that I need something they're selling, right? that I'm incomplete without it, and tremendous satisfaction or relief or meaning or joy will be mine when I add it to my cart. A few years ago, I remember driving by the Castles and Mall on 82nd Street, and there's a, you know, that big digital billboard out front, and it had pictures of expensive items, high heels, fancy watches, and stuff like that, and it said, where your wants become needs. And I thought, well, at least they're being honest, right? I mean, that's, that is the game. That is the, the whole aim of why they exist. So our consumer culture is constantly out there giving us this message and stirring up our discontent, our dissatisfaction. Not to mention all the expectations that we lay on ourselves, right? We're subpar parents if we don't provide that amazing vacation. Or the ways we fall for the so-called good lives kind of bait and switch. And we end up thinking we could work on our marriage or we could work harder to earn what we need for that dream home, which surely we'll be happy in. And then we think that stuff, new and different stuff, will solve our problems. So one key move toward contentment has to certainly include unplugging from consumerism, right? And I believe as certainly as American Christians living in the 21st century, this is vital to our spiritual health. It is a vital discipleship issue. Finding a way to not let all of that, all of that consumerism and the messages and the discontent that it stirs up infect us. Because really, left to ourselves, it will infect any and all of us without some concerted attention 
on our part, bringing this to the Lord, asking for his help and recognizing it for the danger that it is. It's, if we're going back to that idea of a map of our soul, this is a dangerous place, right? This is a place where you want to steer clear because it's a quicksand for us. We'll end up stuck in that consumerism and the discontent that it generates. After all, we're called to be generous people. Those of us who've discovered God and his love and have said yes to receiving that love and then answered his call to share that love. We're really called to be the most generous people on the planet. We're called to be people who give to God steadily in worship, share readily with others in need. But when consumerism ends up taking over our lives and we kind of fall for this idea that more and better stuff equals more and better life, then when you and I can't make our minimum credit card payments, giving and sharing even $20 can seem out of reach. This ends up stifling the very thing we're called to be. So it's important to pay attention to it. So how much is enough? Well, it's whatever God sends our way. We let God decide what's enough, not us. Because for us, it's probably never enough. When we leave us, when we leave ourselves to define that word and only ourselves. Since only God can supply all our needs, true contentment is found only in him. The Apostle Paul emphasizes this in a letter he wrote to the Philippians. He said, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So clearly Paul did not learn this secret of contentment, this thing we're talking about this morning that we're all recognizing that we need in our lives and it's a, it's a place we want to live. Paul did not learn this secret without sacrifice. He knew need, he knew hunger, he knew want. He found contentment despite and maybe even through those things. Paul expounds on some deep mysteries at times in his letters. This is not one of them. This secret, as he puts it, is fairly an open, it's a fairly open one. This mystery is not great. I can do all this through him, Christ, who gives me strength. We can't learn to lean on the strength of Jesus when we are always surrounded by other supports. Meaning, when I find my contentment in my stuff, and maybe more contentment when there's more stuff or a fatter bank balance, more savings, or whatever the case may be. When I let my peace, my satisfaction, my contentment rest on those things, then I'm not going to be in any hurry to be generous because I need them. In fact, I'm so reliant on them that I'll experience uh, the, a lack of peace and maybe some serious discontent if I ever let them go or if I ever share them. If I ever see those uh, balances go down and not up, then now my contentment also goes down and not up. That's why we're constantly called to handle such things open-handedly, handling our material goods in a way that will do us and others spiritual good. Because it's only as we do that and handle them open-handedly that we begin to realize, I don't rest in them. I don't lean on them. I lean on God. I rest in Him. I rely on Him. And then I can handle these things in a way that does not make them the foundation, as we sang earlier. They are not the firm foundation of our lives. And we do get that God-given perspective that more and better stuff does not equal more and better life. 
So see, in the end, it comes down to what or whom or naming as the supplier of our lives. Where did I get all this stuff, however much it is? And when our answer is God, then he gets to decide what is enough. Now, to be sure, there are many people who don't truly have enough at this moment. Perhaps that's you today. Food and clothing, they need that. There's a reason, 52 Sundays out of the year, there's a place in our comments called the drop zone where you can bring what? Food and clothing, right? We're dedicated to making sure that those who don't have enough will have enough or closer to it thanks to our generosity. They, maybe even you today, need more, and it's God's desire that each of us participates in making sure that others' needs are met, that we share so that everyone else's needs get met. That has been God's plan for us as his people all along. It's the way the church is supposed to work. But you don't get there without these other things we've talked about, right? That's why contentment is such an essential ingredient. When you and I stop chasing more, we learn to live on less. When we learn that, we live with margin, so that then we have something to give and we live with and on mission. So they all work together. You can see how all these virtues that we've talked about so far really do work together to make us the kind of people who do good in this world, who enjoy life in God, and who can spread his love. Food and clothing, basic needs, Paul says, that when they are met, we can find contentment and gratitude and great joy in helping others see those needs met as well. So none of this is about feeling guilty when we happen to have what you might call more than enough, more than just food and clothing. But as we're also going to see, it is a sober warning to not let our more than enough be where we find our contentment. That is the warning, not guilt for having more than enough, but a warning to not let that become the source of our identity, our contentment, our peace. Instead, we joyfully maintain a generous point of view, so that when more does come into our lives, we don't see it as more to have, we see it as more to give. And that is a beautiful place to be, to see those resources, not just as what's going to fund the bigger and better thing that we might get to do, but the needs we'll get to meet, or the ministry we'll get to fund, or the good we'll get to do, and that that will bring us ultimate and lasting joy. Verse 9, or no, wait, before I get to verse 9, though, I do want to remind everyone uh, what you heard Amy say in the video. Today is the last Sunday, speaking of generosity and meeting basic needs, today is the last Sunday to pick up a Thanksgiving bag uh, in the commons, to fill that bag and bring it back next Sunday. So we've had a tremendous response from everyone so far. There's 147 families that we've committed to providing their Thanksgiving meal for, and we have about 40 left as of after first service. So we are well within striking distance of meeting that goal, and that's been tremendous. So I just want to remind you, if you haven't stopped by the table or if you want to stop, stop back by and grab one more bag, we're getting close to our goal of 147 families. And so don't let, that, uh, don't let the morning finish without stopping by the table and getting a Thanksgiving bag and bringing it back next week. Uh, that is uh, coming up right up on us here. So thank you in advance for all of that. 
Verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction, right? This is the fire swamp big time. This is quicksand big time. This is exactly what uh, Paul is saying. Look, in the topography of the human soul, there is a place that if you let yourself wander that direction, if you let yourself be enticed and tempted by this desire to be rich, you will fall into temptation and you will be plunged into ruin. Now that might sound pretty dramatic, but what's he really talking about here? He's talking about the importance of our desires, what, what we long for. When our minds are left to wander, where do they go? What do we fantasize about in terms of these, this idea of our material possessions or our riches? Why does longing to be rich plunge us into ruin, he says? Because we take our eyes off God. Because when we make that the driver of our lives, it becomes next to impossible to truly seek first his kingdom and his righteousness so that all other things can be added to us. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you've seen this old joke. It still makes me laugh, so I'm going to share it. I want to be a millionaire just like my grandfather. Oh, your grandfather was a millionaire? No, he also wanted to be a millionaire. Right? Want... Want, we are full of want. Left to ourselves, we are an endless factory of desires and wants, many or even most of them focused on ourselves, of course. Often the desire, whether to be a millionaire or anything else, the desire for more or better possessions ends up really be, being a longing. It's indicating a longing to fill an empty space in our lives. There's some meaning, there's some significance, there's some peace. We're trying to fill that whole, we think stuff will do it. It will always be disappointed. So we've got to ask what or who is the source of my contentment? Because friends, we know this is true. We're restless until we find our rest in God. St. Augustine said that centuries and centuries ago. What do we long for? What do we desire? Let's hunger and thirst for God. Let's live with him. Let's learn to live for him. Let's learn to enjoy this life that he gives us. Make that the number one desire, longing, hunger in our lives to be rich in him, not to get rich in this world. Friends, there's no other purpose in life than to be loved by God and to share that love with others. That's what it comes down to. Whatever you hope will bring fulfillment and peace and contentment. Let that go and let God show you what life is really all about. I mentioned it earlier, but I'll say it again. I've stood by two in the last week, but dozens and dozens over my years in ministry. I've stood by too many gravesites, sat with families too many times saying goodbye to a loved, lost loved one. To not know now, down to my bones, and be able to tell you any differently, that the only thing that's going to matter will be the love you've received from God and the love you've shown to others. Nothing else will matter or count at all. It will always come down to that. It always does. And so starting today to live in light of that last day and realize that cultivating contentment, letting my character be built not on what I've accumulated or even accomplished, but on the love that I've received and gotten to show.
And yeah, will that, will that happen through my material goods? Will that happen in this, this kind of map of my soul that shows me the dangers of greed or the ways that I can trust? Yeah, clearly this is a powerful indicator for us because wealth will distract us more than anything. We can end up devoting the few days we have on earth to something so terribly temporary as to be a tragedy that we made it the number one aim or even number two aim of our lives. That life is so much more and means so much more than anything any of that has to offer. The writer of Hebrews echoes, this is a recurring theme throughout the scriptures. Here's another example. The writer of Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This is, this is classic Jesus, right? You cannot serve both God and money. That The number one rival for the human heart uh, next to God will be riches, wealth, money. And so when we keep our lives free from the love of money, it will be because we found God who will never leave us or, or forsake us. So we say with confidence, the writer says, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Circumstances will go up, down, and sideways. So will our bank balances and any number of other things. None of that's going to matter in the end. We're going to, it, life will be a winding uh, and uh, sometimes treacherous switchback of paths. But we'll all reach the end and only one thing will matter. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. God is enough. He's all I need to have. He's all I need to call mine. If I can call God mine, then nothing else will really matter. Whether I, I consider it mine for today, it will be gone tomorrow. Whatever I have is what he's chosen to give. And I am rich because first, among all the things he's chosen to share with me is himself. I have him and he has me and I have nothing to fear. And that's a statement, a prayer we all can say and pray. But note the action verb here in this passage for us. There's no being content without keeping our lives free. This is where we have some work to do. We keep our lives free. We don't let that stuff stick to us. That greed, that consumerism, that distraction. We try to shed that with God's help. We vigilantly keep an eye on that and realize, no, I'm not going to let that in. I'm not going to let that in. Which leads us to the conclusion of our passage. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There's that sobering warning. It's easy to get sidetracked by our stuff and our pursuit of more of it. Nothing good comes from this and lots of bad, even evil is not melodramatic to say. Lots of hurt, lots of dysfunction, lots of waste, time, energy, life. The ancient writer of Ecclesiastes, way back in the Old Testament says, those who love money never have enough. Both of those words, the love of money and enough, those who love wealth are never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Our stuff, our affluence, can be a disease to our soul if we're not careful, which we can then feel like we lose when we try to gain the whole world. One documentary I saw years ago called this affluenza, right? Our affluence is like an influenza uh, that infects us. Our stuff, and more of it, can choke us. We have to use it, store it, clean it, maintain it, insure it, protect it. When, we get, when it gets old, replace it. And all that stuff ends up distracting us. Our possessions can be possessive. We think we own them. They end up owning us, own our thoughts, own our time, own our energies. 
The ancient Roman philosopher Seneca once said, these individuals have riches as we say we have a fever when really the fever has us. So we fall into the easy trap of believing that what we have is not enough. And the answer lies in getting just a little more. And when we do, or God blesses us with more, we forget why. One indication that we're growing in contentment is an increasingly healthy detachment from our possessions. We use them. We don't love them, right? It's the love of money. It's the longing to get rich that leads us in bad directions. Our peace of mind becomes decreasingly dependent on the size of our bank account, but in in our self-worth, less and less tethered to our net worth. We begin to realize that Jesus operates on a totally different balance sheet. Assets, Assets and liabilities are redefined. We somehow tap into this mystery that says, even though I'm giving something away, I'm now richer for it. That the math might say that a balance went down, but I feel more balanced than ever. That that when I uh, am subtracting something from my life materially, I'm somehow gaining so much more spiritually, and I still end up having more than enough materially. That is the supernatural reality of how this works in our lives as Jesus followers. We discover that true riches are not what we thought they were, And that when we give our stuff to God, it no longer possesses us. And then he gives it back to us so that we can wisely use it for good. The passage concludes, some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Instead of thinking about what we don't have, we thank God instead for what he's given. And we strive to be content. Instead of counting our stuff and considering all that we could buy with it, our riches then can be seen as resources that we leverage into opportunities to trust and serve God and his purposes. And after all, our most important possession is free and available to everyone, eternal life through Jesus Christ. Over the last few weeks, I've had a lot of conversations with with, uh, different outlookers. And as we've moved through this series, one of the recurring themes has been, no one's explained it that way before. That you maybe grew up in church or been and heard plenty of sermons about money, but they usually left you feeling shamed or or pressured or somehow uh, icky, right? Lots of bad feelings that can come along with this. And I'm really thankful to hear that at least for several of you, that's not how you felt. And I haven't heard any of the opposite yet. So if that is you, I want to talk to you and, and talk about that. But I'm really thankful to hear this because this is an important topic. And our philosophy at Outlook is that we let Jesus teach us and the rest will follow. That when it comes to subjects like generosity or giving, I am so completely convinced that Jesus is expert at telling each of his followers exactly how he wants them to respond to his teaching. That our only responsibility is to enjoy soaking in the wisdom of that teaching and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. There are a lot of manipulative tactics that might happen out there in the world and even sometimes in the church. And I'm glad to hear that you're not sensing that because there's really something important happening here. It's, It's essential to our faith. It's essential to the life of discipleship to Jesus. There's a reason the scriptures talk about it so very much. It's central to how we live out this faith. It's real and it deserves full treatment. Because, why? I don't want to see anyone, any of us, pierced with many sorrows. And I know 
we don't want that for each other. Amen? I'm going to invite you to take the bread and cup here as we wrap up our time together. Every week, as we are navigating through our lives, right? Kind of walking through that map. Every week, we make a point in this moment to return to, as Paul puts it there, uh, the true faith, right? We remind ourselves of what's true. It's like we plot a point on the map and we head straight to it. We return to it again and again and again. And we're back there again this morning. As we take the bread, what we're remembering is that God is a giver. That's, how, that's what love does. That he so loved the world he gave his one and only son. So let's take the bread and remember him. And when we take the cup, we're reminding ourselves that love is sacrifice. And that Jesus sacrificed himself for us, that we might enjoy, experience his love and grace. And that that very love, we want to receive it. That very love, we want to give it. So let's honor him and take the cup together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this powerful passage that reminds us that your, your whole aim for us as your people is contentment, is uh, the kind of peace of mind and heart that finds its rest in you because we're trusting you and so then when it comes to our material goods, we, we see them clearly for what they are. Gifts from you, you've invested in us that we might be supplied in our need and that we might meet needs in this world. Fuel ministry, spread the gospel, all kinds of good things can flow from that. All the while, we're just enjoying contentment and equilibrium in our soul Thanks to you, because you, Lord, have defined for us what is enough. You are enough. In your name we pray. Amen.